I think the CEO's job is to know what is going on in their business, right? You, you should know what's going on. You should be measuring the most important things and holding people accountable to achieve what they said they would achieve. And, and to do that, you have to know what the hell's going on, right? It doesn't mean micromanaging and it doesn't mean you know being at people's backsides all the time, giving people trust and freedom, and just, but just setting very clear expectations and then doing everything you can to enable those people to, to do what you've asked and, and, and achieve the mission of the company. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Chris, welcome. Welcome on How They Lead. Chris Abbas, CEO of Talentful, co-founder. Be great to understand, I guess, to start with a bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to see you. Yeah. So you can probably see from my background, I'm a musician at heart, playing in rock bands since I was a teenager. Somehow fell into the world of recruiting, as you do. But my background, really professionally, I'm currently the CEO of Talentful. We're an on-demand recruiting solution for the world's most ambitious technology companies. And we typically save companies time, money, and we build processes and frameworks that allow them to be competitive in a high-progressive market. My background prior to that was mainly in recruiting. So I started in a staffing firm, worked there for a bunch of time. And then I moved in-house and worked for several high-growth technology businesses such as Shazam and Amazon. Now my job consists of being the CEO of Townfall, which is uh, you know, all things from building office furniture still to you know, speaking to partners and customers and making sure that the operations of the business are working smoothly globally. And also overseeing several smaller products that we have and fledgling products that will be coming to market in the next few months. Yeah. Cheers, Chris. And, and what, what sort of size is Talentful at the moment? How many, how many heads are you? About 250 um, permanent employees. Yeah. So 250 and you're spread between the UK, the US, and do you have an office in Europe as well? Yeah. So we have the physical presence we have is, is the UK. We have an office in Germany and then we have several offices across the US and we service clients all over the world. How, how's that looking? That'd just be interesting to find out how's that headcount looking for the next sort of year or so are you in the, the middle of a, a hyper growth like we've seen with some of our other clients or is it quite a steady projection no actually so so we we've come down a bit since our peak so we were about 330 employees about six months ago and you know the the tech market you know as you've probably seen has had a lot of volatility for the last you know, several months. So we actually had to make a round of layoffs. We can maybe talk about that. One of the peaks that you were talking about of thinking you've got things sorted out and then challenges are always coming as a business. Um, and unfortunately, we had to reduce our, our workforce. So I think what we're seeing for the rest of this year is, um, you know, this is a year of survival and maybe you know, a small amount of growth. We're using it to 
really establish what our weaknesses are, you know, fill those gaps in and prepare for when the market returns to some sense of growth and normality and take full advantage of that. So this is really a preparation year, uh, making sure we've got a great business and we can get to the next stage once things get back to normal. Nice, yeah. I like that. Yeah, looking for the opportunities. But have anything or any opportunities stood out significantly so far? Absolutely. Yeah, well, the, the world that we work in is you know, high growth technology and that's where we built our brand. That's where we have a lot of customers. And you know, that world has been through an absolute whirlwind over the last three years, right? We had COVID, which you know, absolutely smashed, not just tech, but a lot of different um, industries. Then there was this kind of post-COVID boom where lots of money flowed into the system. You know, we had an incredibly competitive market for talent and recruitment companies in general probably had their best years ever you know, in the last kind of two years. Companies have since realized that they may be overhired. The market is correcting. Um, and, and what those companies have had to do is make huge layoffs. You know, you're looking at Facebook now on their fourth layoff. You've got Amazon, multiple layoffs. A lot of the world's best companies that are generating billions of dollars of revenue are making substantial amounts of reductions in their workforce. And then on top of that, you've got all this progression in artificial intelligence and automation, which is maybe allowing companies to be leaner, and fill in some of the gaps that they would have typically hired people with, with technology. So we're going through this real shift in terms of how people are thinking about structuring their workforces and, and building teams. And I think that the prevailing narrative is a lot of the talent leaders that we are speaking to, they don't want to go back to building these huge internal recruitment teams. Companies are going to opt for more flexibility than having fixed costs. So for our business model, that's an incredible opportunity in the future because we provide companies the option to have this additional flexibility. You know, they don't have to go through hiring, training, ramping. They don't have to then give massive severance packages once they lay people off. There's a huge advantage to having a business like ours. So we see there's a huge opportunity in the future. It's just about, you know, getting through this tough period like it is, like it was during COVID and taking advantage, you know, once things get back to normal. I think it's, um, I think it's a really interesting couple of points you make there because from, from founding West Peak, like literally, you know, January 2021, fully virtually and working with clients. It was very much a, right, we've got a bunch of new people working in different ways. How can, how can Westpeak help us to, to, to get them firing, get them communicating, you know, absorb these new people? How can we develop emerging leaders, you know, first-time managers, all the way up to C-suite to be able to, to cope with this influx of people? And I think this year, Q1 and into Q2, we're seeing, we're seeing, a couple of trends. One trend is is people are, are maybe pausing. They definitely paused at the beginning of Q1 in terms of learning and development spend and, and investing in, in their business in that way. The other side is people who are um, either relatively well capitalized or are thinking, right, how do I steal a march? So if we're in this period of, of preparation or consolidation, ready, ready to go, um, how can we make sure that the, the leaders we have in the business are kind of fit for purpose? really well tooled up, really well skilled. So if and when we do hire again, we're, we're ready to lead and, and manage those people really well. And kind of conversely, there, there are those people who are, who are pausing and we're having conversations with them in terms of like, when do you, when do you think you might want to invest? Because it's not that, that people don't want to invest. I think there's very much a timing thing right now from, from what we see. And I think that that marries up with, with, with hiring. I think people, when they're thinking about growing their teams or upping their, their, their headcounts, um, I think there's probably a lag in terms of investment in L&D for, for some people, but other people will do it, will do it up front. Well, I think that there's just been a huge 
it can be summarized really as a momentum shift for a lot of companies, right? The last two years, it's felt like definitely for our company that we're a boulder flying down a hill, right? And then you have to change course. The momentum shifts. And with that shift, there's a different set of priorities, different set of focuses, different set of things that you need to allocate your resources to. And I think that it's about, and different companies will approach that problem very differently. They'll become very defensive and they will, you know, go into hibernation almost. And then there's companies that will be very aggressive and invest in things like sales and, you know, marketing and um, other things like that to sell themselves out of the hole rather than being defensive. And I think you see companies react very differently to things. I mean, we've, we acquired a business you know, early this year, our first acquisition, which was again, more of an aggressive play to um, build a go-to-market strategy and, and build a community for, for the industry that we work in. Um, and we think that'll pay dividends in the future. And we're looking at ways that we can be more aggressive in this time rather than defensive. Because I think that if you just you know, batten down the hatches, you leave yourself open to just be taken over, I, I believe. And, and you know, the world doesn't stop spinning when you're in these difficult times. You're just going to look for the different opportunities and I guess change your priorities. I think that's, that's the way we try and look at it. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that like what you've just shared so far in our conversation leads me on to our first kind of anchor question, which is about, about how you lead. So I'm going to give you, give you one sentence. You can punctuate it however you want, but one sentence, I'd really like to get insight into like, what's your, what's your philosophy? What's your approach to how you lead, lead people in your business? So this has changed massively, you know, from being 10 people to now 250 global company. I think my role right now is really as a guide or to use your kind of mountaineering um, analogy, like a Sherpa almost, you know, um, I know what the, I know what the end goal is. I know the, the path towards it. Um, and I need to lead the team there, utilize all the different skill sets in the team uh, to get us there in the best way possible and, and get to the summit without dying. <laughs> I think that that's really the, uh, <laughs> how I would summarize my, my role right now. Um, and I tend to try and do that by you know, leading from the front and being very action orientated um, as a leader. But would you say that that approach has changed over the last couple of years? I'd say, as, as you mentioned, taking the opportunities to become more of a lean business, but also as, as CEOs and sort of the C-suite, senior leadership teams try to understand their, their people a little bit more and they understand the replacement cost as well. So rather than just replacing people uh, at will, they now want to nurture, develop, coach the talent they've got and try and retain that talent as well. So you move into more of a, a coaching leadership style, which is kind of what you're saying by being a Sherpa, that, that change. You can see if, if you've noticed that change as well, trying to retain the talent that you've got and businesses that you're supporting as well. Absolutely. I think that, you know, when you're very early stage, you're doing everything yourself. You're very hands-on. Um, it's your baby if it's your company. So you're very, you know, precious of what's happening in your business. And as you hit a certain scale, you have to just let go of that. It's very hard to do. And there's a process of going through that um, where you're half in, half out. And then at some point you have to totally relinquish control and you have to trust in your people that you've got the right people, that they know what they're doing. And I think there's a, a mistake that some people make where they become totally hands-off and out of the detail. And I think that's probably not the good I don't believe that's the right thing I think the CEO's job is to know what is going on in their business right you, you should know what's going on you should be measuring the most important things and holding people accountable to achieve um, what they said they would achieve and to do that you have to know what the hell's going on right it doesn't mean micromanaging and it doesn't mean you know being at people's backsides all the time um, giving people trust and freedom and just, but just setting very clear expectations and then doing everything you can to enable those people to 
to do what you've asked and, and, and achieve the mission of the company. I think that's really the key. Um, one thing that I've learned the hard way is how important, especially when you're hiring senior leaders, is setting those expectations very clearly from day one. Um, I think that, especially for me as a, new, as a first-time founder and CEO, I've hired people that are much more experienced than me. You know, I've got really big job titles. They're coming in from amazing companies. And you just make the assumption, okay, these people know what they're doing. They're coming in and they're, they're going to they're gonna tell me what to do. It's fine. But I think people want direction. They want to have those expectations set. And it's important for you as well um, to manage the performance of the team. Um, and so that's definitely a huge learning that I've had. Uh, I think people may be scared of and maybe feel like they're being a bit mean by being very clear of expectations sometimes and holding people accountable. Um, but I think it's absolutely necessary. And I think actually good people prefer that as well because they want to know okay this is what's expected this is what good looks like if i achieve this i've absolutely smashed it if i don't achieve this i'm doing a bad job so i think for me expectation setting has been a big thing um on that kind of journey of of leadership I like that sharp analogy i think although i'll the steal sharp, that one i'll use sharp. that yeah you know, thank, thank I, you the thing that was burning away in my head like like recruitment backgrounds recruitment background the, I, you were saying kind of you know like lead through action and then you were saying about, you know, being, working on the business as well as still keeping a hand in the business. So the question I wanted to ask you, um, which we haven't prepped for, which was like, when was the last time you worked on a role? Oh, that is a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 The thing that I was, apart from, you know, when we've hired some executives, like when we hired our chief revenue officer a couple of years ago, I had hunted for that myself. So actually that was probably the last role that I did. But I had people helping me with the process and stuff like that. In, in Whereas Talentful is concerned, recruiting hasn't really, apart from interviewing and, and making sure the process is good, wasn't really where I was involved the most. It was sales, funnily enough. So um, you know, when I was doing recruiting, sales was part of recruiting. It's something that I enjoyed. We, we did a full desk. And naturally, between me and my co-founder, I gravitated towards the sales and the client side. And, and he was more kind of back-end operational focused. Um, and so... When you're founders, I think that you're you have a, a layer of credibility that pe- people you bring in as salespeople just won't have because you 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 know the business so intimately because it's your business. You love it. You're passionate about it. You can sell it better than anyone else. So you end up having you know, a lot of success in sales, you know, if, early on. Um, and bringing someone else in, I think you've got to be okay with okay. They might not be able to pitch this as well as me, or they might not be able to do it the same way as me or they might have a different approach and that's okay. And that was a definite learning period for me uh, because I was responsible for, for sales for about three years you know, in the business. Um, so letting go of that was really hard as well because obviously if, if the implication of that failing is huge, right? We, we bring someone in, sales don't happen, the business fails. So it's like, uh, it's like <laughs> you know, you're letting go of your baby, you're letting go of the reins. So um yeah, but but for me, that was the big thing to let go of sales. And, and did that coincide with your sort of leadership or change in leadership style as well? You mentioned there was a significant point where you changed to this, the Sherpa way of working. Did, was that all coincidental or was there a significant point that you can remember when you thought, right, this has to change? You know what? I think there's lots of different things that people say around this stuff. I think ultimately you will let go once the right person's in the company, right? And almost every answer to building a good business is just hire the the right people and get the right people in the company. You know, I tend to think the best people don't even need to be managed, right? And that's kind of the the, the golden bullet is, right, you don't have to build all these things if you've got the right people. And yes, you have to retain them, which is a different thing. You have to 
make sure they're progressing, they're learning, they're developing. But typically those people take control of their own journey and their own careers to a certain extent. And uh, they're really good at reporting upwards and managing upwards and they get results. So I think for, for me, it was once we'd hired the right sales leader, that then gave me the confidence to step back and, and feel like this person's got it under control. And then it allowed me to develop as a leader because I didn't have to worry about that side of things. And it showed me what it was like to have a competent, successful person in the role that I was doing. And I mean, that was a really crucial step um, for me, you know, going on my own development journey, because as a CEO, you, you're also trying to build your own skill set and trying to learn. And it's really hard to do that if you're in the weeds and you're doing the, the jobs of, that other people should be doing. So having the right people in the right roles allows you to then you know, step out and, and develop yourself as a leader as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. We've got a number of clients who are in a, a similar situation. So, and just a really quick question would be good to understand when you brought that sales director in, what was it for you that enabled you to take a step back? Was it sort of trust, communication, or was it just the results? What allowed you to sort of have that sigh of relief and step back slightly? I think it's a combination of all, all of those things that you just said, actually. But I think communication is really key. I think when someone is great at managing upwards, you don't have to ask for information. It's presented to you. When there's no surprises, people are very direct. If something's going wrong, they let you know before you're slapped in the face by a client. You know, that that, that is a, you know, that's what you want. Um, now, I don't care if someone makes a mistake or things go wrong. That's the nature of doing business. But we should have a, we should always be open with each other about that and, and the challenges that we're having and, and we should be working together to fix them. And I think sometimes people hide from them or they try and hide their mistakes and it just ends up, you know, eroding that trust, as you mentioned. I think it's really crucial that you trust the leaders you have in your business. You know that if there's an issue, they'll come to you. I think that's key. So have it, we had someone in the business who, you know, had all those things, really great communicator, very proactive, managed it really well and delivered results. I like that. Yeah. A lot of keywords that I'm loving there. Yeah, yeah. It's refreshing yeah. to hear um, as well. And, and also lots of your LinkedIn posts, like just ticking in my head as, as you, as you say stuff, you know, the, the, the best, best people in the world kind of don't need to be managed, don't need to be led. Um, and yet I think there's a, there's a bit of a tension there for me versus what you've just said about the Sherpa role. It's like, maybe it's just a slight change in angle uh, of the management. It's more about, they don't need to be, they don't need to be looked after in a sense of their day to day, like tactically. But but the Sherpa bit, I guess, instead of looking down at the footpath, you're helping them look at the horizon and then back down to the footpath. And there's that that change in angle. What role models have you had that, that you've kind of you, you've taken nuggets from? I was trying to guess this in the background, thinking it might be musical. Given given the Do background reckon? there, I was, I was ah, trying to. Okay. <laughs> it's not actually, you know, I I I. I I don't really have these big like figurehead people, like individual people that I'm like, okay, these have been you know really key in my evolution or really influential for me. I think that I'm a big believer in the power of work ethic and grit. And I think the more I have experience as an entrepreneur, those two things are the what I believe are the highest determinating factors to, to, to success. And I think you can find those traits in people all over the place, right? Whether it's someone that's in the pursuit of excellence in their own job or mastery at a certain skill. You know, the big, the big people for me and the key people in my life were my mum. You know, she's a single mum. She had two kids, multiple jobs, and I never felt like I needed anything. And looking back now, I realize how hard of a job that was, right? And my granddad, who was an electrician for, for all of his life and working well into his 60s, you know, 
and had a real pride for the work that he was doing. You know, that to me is what, you know, really inspires me seeing people who are putting all their energy, all their effort. They have a high standard for the work that they do. They don't want to let people down and they're constantly trying to put their best best foot forward. That's what inspires me. And I think really that's how I believe that businesses are built. It's about having grit and determination towards a goal, having high standards, and then putting one foot in front of the other to to achieve your goal. And, And I generally think the people that have those traits will, you know, there's always that, I hate the phrase work smarter, not harder, or whatever the phrase is, because the best people do both, right? And and um, it's not a case of doing one or the other. So so yeah, I think I try and look for inspiration. I've always, it was always funny when I was a kid, people always used to laugh because whenever I'd meet someone new, I'd be fascinated in what that person does. I'd be like, what do you do? And then I'd be like, how do you do it? How did you get there? What did you do? You know, I'd be like a little sponge trying to like figure out how these people got to where, they, yeah. And, and that, that still is with me today. I'm fascinated by why people do things, how they do it, how they become successful because everyone's path's different. But I think that the key traits and behaviors in those successful people are almost always the same. Like I go to nowadays, I'm fortunate enough to go to all these like executive dinners and CEO dinners and networking events, get to speak to a lot of people who are incredibly successful. And there's this underlying thing that's similar in everyone. And they come from lots of different backgrounds, you know, lots of different sets of experiences, but there's this key kind of underlying hunger and commitment and drive. And and I just love that. That's what, that's what kind of spurs me on. And how do you reflect that in the business and almost take it from what you've just described with your mum and dad or mother and father to the values of the business and then make sure that that culture isn't diluted as you grow, as you've alluded to, from sort of quite a, a small people count to quite an impressive size business? How do you reflect that and stop it from being diluted as you grow? Really hard. I think we, for, for our roles, there's two components. It's, there's a skill set component, which is, you know, can you do the, the day-to-day of your job? Have you got the right level of skill set? Um, and then the second half is really, have you got those behavioral traits that we believe will allow you to be successful in our business? And we test for those. And those are very behavioral based questioning, situational based questioning. So, you know, for example, if we're looking for grit, we try and find out when have you give me an example in your life where you've worked for a, you know, a difficult situation or you've done something you didn't have to do or you've overcome adversity. You know, I think those are really important. I think. What we look for is people who have done hard things when they've not been forced to do hard things. And I think that's really key. And that could show itself up in lots of different ways. It could be, as I said, a single parent who works really hard to provide for their family. It could be someone who's you know, been an incredibly high tier musician. It could be someone who's been an amazing sports person, you know, and I think that's having, it's not it's not a hundred percent hit rate, obviously, but I think it's a good compass towards how people got the, the mindset and the understanding that to reach a goal, there's going to be road bumps. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties and they're okay with that and they won't give up. And I think that that's really what business is about. You're trying to reach a goal. There's going to be tons of shit that's thrown at, thrown at you during the, the journey. And you need a team of people who understand that's how it is. And that's part of the journey. That's part of the process. We're not giving up. We're running towards this thing and we'll work together to come over to, to get over these obstacles. And it's really hard to do at scale to get everyone, you know, singing the same, the same tune and, and being on the same page. Uh, but it's something that you should always strive for. And I think try and get as close as possible to. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I suppose you can from your background, Joe, with the police and my, the military background. In terms of doing the small things, doing them well, 
when no one's looking as well. Because actually that, that's how you get that foundation, as you've just explained. Without those small basics being done to perfection all day, every day and consistently, you'll never reach that high performing stage or reach the goals that you're trying to, trying to strive for and trying to achieve. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I like that. Yeah, I think um, there's a there's a relentlessness as well. I think grit is is like you know do hard things, do them on the days you don't want to do them. That that's like my and it's interesting you mentioned about the the smarter versus harder. Um, I'm I'm going to fess up to something now. So um, my um, my 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 ex CEO at Dartmouth Partners, Logan, who hopefully we'll we'll have on um on one of the podcasts. I went into that business as like head of head of people and performance, and we um, we worked together a lot. And for the three years I was at Dartmouth, we, we would have an ongoing conversation about is it smarter or is it harder. And and I was very much like very much in the camp of like yeah, it's got to be hard, but but smart smart will beat hard. And he was always no Ben, like it is it's 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 harder like you out you outwork and it wasn't until we founded west peak the penny kind of dropped and i was like it's harder like all things being equal if all talent is equal harder more relentless like wins the day and i think that message and i think that message right now in a different economic climate for lots of people that have worked in kind of a, a little boom post-COVID. It's quite hard to, to swallow that in different industries for people who have come into, into, into work in a, in a different kind of working environment to realize that actually, sometimes you do just have to work 120% as hard to get 80% of, of what you were able to get in 2001 and 2000, sorry, 2021 or, or 2022. And that's a challenge as a leader, isn't it? To, to, to share that messaging as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, there's a difference in going through that journey yourself and managing your own psychology and emotions, you know, and saying, look, I've got this goal. There's this roadblock. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to psych myself up. I'm going to get through it. And then managing 250 people psychology, right? That is a lot different. And I think the only thing that you can do, and this goes back to that Sherpa thing comment that you made, Ben, is remind people of the mission, you know, and, and what their part in that mission is and how, as we all work together, we're getting one step closer at a time. And this roadblock is, is exactly what it just is. We're, we're going to look back in five years time, and this is going to be a small blip on a very you know, positive arc on, on the graph. And it's very, you know, you're dealing with lots of different generations. They've been they they might have come through different times, had different personal experiences, and you've got to find a way to appeal to everyone in your business. Um, and get them through those difficult times. And, and a lot of that can come from you as a CEO uh, with setting the mission and, and being that North Star and constantly talking about that. But you have to have great leaders who can also you know, deliver that message and get everyone behind them. And I think that that becomes more and more important the bigger you get because it can't just all filter through the CEO. Um, it has to be you know, leaders in the business. And that's, again, something that's very difficult and that you guys help with is building that strong layer of leadership in the business. Um, and I think that something I probably underestimated as we grew is how, how strong that layer has to be, really. It doesn't matter so much in easy times, as you said. A lot of stuff doesn't matter in easy times, to be frank. you know. And you don't have to be a good fisherman if the, the fish are jumping in the boat, right? And the But now, it's really tough. And this is when it matters. And so, yeah, that, that, that 
leadership layer has to has to help you deliver that message yeah and i think like this comes into like we, we talk about like three different areas of leadership like always three hats or three areas you need to focus on we talked about kind of self-leadership role models and you, you shared some of that and we talked about about teamship as well like actually you being in the trenches you know in the business as well as working on the business but now you're you're kind of coming on to actually you need to follow so as the ceo you've got you've got a, a layer of of people leaders and subject matter experts who you need to defer to in terms of cascading that message um but also relying on their their sales expertise their tech expertise etc so how do you how do you go about being a follower now as a ceo how do you consciously kind of do that yourself yeah i think Again, it's about you know setting those expectations with with people, having a, a north star where we're all trying to go, and trusting in those people that they can take us there, right? And everyone's got a role to play in delivering you know the mission of the business, and I think being incredibly supportive of those people, and I think people really value you having their back. You know, if things go wrong, it's not throwing people under the bus. It's okay, that went wrong. That's everyone's responsibility. It's not just yours. Right? How do we work at this? How do we get over it? You know, and I think the more that you can embed that kind of mindset, obviously there's a limit. If someone is just constantly fucking up, sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on the podcast. Well, you, out. you are now. You are now. It's <laughs> yeah. all I know. <laughs> all right, start again. Okay. Yeah. If people are constantly messing up, then there has to be a conversation about performance. But I think that mistakes are part of being in a high growth business. You're trying to do new things all the time. You're trying to grow. You're trying to run at things at 100 miles an hour people are going to trip up and that's fine. And people need to know that's fine. Um, so being, you know, supportive of them, having people's back and giving them the tools they need to succeed and acting as like a booster on their rocket, really, I think is, is what I try and do is how can I move stuff out your way? How can I allow you to focus on what is most important? How can I make sure that you are focusing on the highest priority items that are going to make you more successful, the business more successful? And then how do I get everything outside of your way? And I think the bigger and business, the bigger our business has got, my role has definitely become more allowing people to focus, making sure people are focused on the right things and, and simplifying things. I think as your business gets bigger, there's a real tendency. I'm not sure if this is my business or everyone's, but people tend to try and overcomplicate things and, and try and put in all this crazy stuff and these crazy processes and use these platforms and these vendors and do this and do that. And it's like, okay, let's bring this back to basics. Like what are the fundamental things that we need to do and do well to achieve our goal? And let's just focus on that. We don't need to go crazy, you know? And that to me is like what I've been trying to do. And I think as a follower, I see as my role is, you know, focusing, allowing people to prioritize, supporting them, and then clearing the way to, for them to achieve their goals. And then also celebrating when they do well, being that cheerleader. There's so many questions that have come up there and so many sort of rabbit holes to go down. But what, one for me was, you've obviously got a, another level of complexity in terms of the co-CEO aspect. So yourself and, and Phil, almost two followers, you need to work out when to follow each other. How has that sort of been thrown into the mix and how have you found that? Obviously, we can relate quite well, co-CEOs. We've got a number of clients with, with co-CEO roles as well. So how have you found that aspect of that followership being two of you? It's been really incredibly natural, actually. And we've been, I feel we've been incredibly lucky. We, we didn't know each other hardly at all before we started Townfall. And I think in a way that's been a blessing for us because um, it allowed the, the partnership to be very business first and unemotional. So we, it allowed us to have very direct conversations that weren't personal, that didn't you know, become emotional. 
Um, and then a great friendship has been built upon that. So we can very easily now separate business and personal, and we never take one set of conversations or feelings into another, right? They're totally separate. And I think that's incredibly important because you have to have very tough conversations with your, your co-founder or co-CEO, and you're going to have to say stuff that's unpleasant. You're going to have to have unpleasant, difficult conversations. It's part of the, part of the, part of the deal. But I think trust is the most important thing. I think you have to know or be very comfortable that the person you're working with has your best interest at heart, will never screw you over. And you're very aligned in terms of your values, you know, your behaviors and where you want the company to go. I'd say the mistake that we probably made is as the business has grown, you know, seven years in, we've also changed as people. Phil's had a child, you know, he's got married. I've moved to a different country, you know, our lives have changed and we've become older, right? It just happens, unfortunately. And, uh, and um, yeah, and I think you have to make sure you're constantly checking in with your co-founder to make sure that you're still aligned, right? Okay, you're at this new stage of your life. Does this change what you want out of this business, right? Where you want this business to go? And I think having those conversations constantly is really important. So one of the things that me and Phil try to do is have a session every single quarter where we run through uh, these these key topics. We have half a day or a day with each other. Uh, we used to we used to actually go away on a little mini vacation together, very romantic. And we would write down, you know, our mission, our, our strategy, what we wanted in terms of, you know, is there an exit event? When is that? All the key things, and just make sure we're locked in and we're aligned. And if we're not, then we have a, a workshop around how do we come to an agreement on what those things should be. Um, and again, that can be uncomfortable because if one of you one of you has changed, then it's like, well, we started this together and we agreed that this was the thing, but now you've changed. You have to work that out. And me and Phil are in a maybe a little bit of a unique situation. I don't know what you guys are, but we're 50-50 completely down the middle. So there's no, you know, extra vote that I have that can supersede Phil. He can't supersede me. We have to agree on everything before we move forwards. And I actually really like that. It's annoying sometimes, but you know, it means that we have to work through problems. We have to come to an agreement and we can't, you know, throw a weight around, basically. I can imagine sometimes we, we hear a lot of stories where maybe people have got investors who have a majority or, you know, they have an uneven split of shares. And sometimes when things get difficult, it's just, well, I've got more than you, so we're going my way. Right? That never happened. That never happens with us, um, which, which I think has been very beneficial, actually. Um, and it's brought us closer. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one because... On, on one side, like I can, I can really see how that works. On the other side, we've, we've spoken to businesses with co-CEOs before who have been like, well, like we got deadlocked and that was the end of the business. Like that was the end of, that was the end of the vision, et cetera. Yeah. So I think what's there's, there's, um, Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team like screams at me when you say that, like you need to have the positive conflict. You need to have, have those positive conflict conversations, but also you both, you and Phil have got that, that trust where you can say, right, this is a business conversation and this is our friendship. This is our friendship on the side and, and bringing those together. And I think I really, I, I really like the quarterly coming together and reassessing of, of like mission, vision, 
you know, what, what does the business look like when it's finished for you, if it's ever finished? Because that, that does change. And I think, yep. you know, for us, we haven't done Corsi yet, but I think we might now. Yeah, I'm keen um, for vacation. You're keen for Corsi. I'm keen for a cycling trip. To I was just thinking of your career, um, as you, as but, you but, um, <laughs> wives don't listen to this. Um, but I think like we, we did one at the end of, end of last year. So like end of the first two years of the business for us. Um, and it was a really good moment actually, because yep. there were some differences, but there was, there were core themes together. It's like, well, actually, you know, I'd like the business to this size. I, I wouldn't like it to be this size. And, and you get to talk about those topics. And I really value our, it's going to get a bit soppy now. I really value our, our working relationship and, and our friendship and the ability to keep them together, but separate. And actually we've had a couple of moments where like our business isn't anywhere near the size of, of yours, but, but it's a growing business. And actually we went through Q1 of probably not seeing each other really mm. to the extent we're like, we need to put a regular like rock in the diary where we can come back together once a week and talk about stuff and just share because you know teams messages or slack or like you just you don't you need that time together well, um, as you mentioned that and from what you said chris actually as you're probably aware we filled in linkedin for the last year about it but we we climbed mont blanc together but actually we, we didn't discuss uh well, we didn't get involved with any work policies or processes we just sort of had a chat to each yeah, other yeah. didn't we and then from that a lot of the things in the direction of of the business for the next sort of two, three, four, five years came out from just the chats we were having, open, honest, frank chats. It might've been because we were emotional up at height, but <laughs> actually just getting away, like you say, every quarter or doing something like that, which is totally removed from work, yeah. but ultimately you end up having those deep and meaningful conversations actually is so important and powerful. But a lot of people think they don't have the time or capacity to do it. Actually, they need to be doing it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the, the most, the biggest challenges that we've ever had as a, in, as a relationship was when I first moved to the US and COVID happened. We didn't see each other for two years plus, right, in person. And you can t you could tell, right? You could really tell. And it was so nice to actually be in person and, and do, go through this process. And when you think about it, and I think about it for me personally, Phil is the the longest standing, most com most consistent relationship I've ever had in my life, apart from my family. Right. And maybe one of the most important relationships I'll ever have. And if we go on for another 10 years, it's like a marriage. Right. And, and it really is. And I think you need to treat it with the, the respect of, of, of being such an important relationship in your life and, um, and really put time into it to make it work. Because, you know, I think one of the biggest reasons why companies fail is, is that co-founder relationship breaks down. So, yeah, I would definitely advise people to, to spend time and put a lot of effort into maintaining that relationship. Chris, I think that that what you just said there about about relationships and your relationship with Phil, and I think that that opens up a whole kind of can of worms for me in terms of um, in terms of hybrid working, remote working, bringing people together. But you just said there that the most difficult part of your working relationship was was those two years when you were apart, and and I think that's something that we see when working with teams and businesses is actually when we bring them together. And particularly when we bring them together away from a workshop room or, or a virtual teams training session, and we're actually, you know, they're offline. That's when we, we see those relationships kind of rekindled and rebuilt. Um, so I just wanted to just, just ask you, like, what are you doing at the moment in the business to, to make sure you have those, those positive collisions within your teams? Yeah. Uh, last time that we, I, I saw you actually was when we were running the K2 challenge with, with yourself and the rest of your senior leadership team. We had Benita Norris down there, just completed something similar with Team GB Paratriathlon. And now we're about to, to trial that with some company-wide sort of challenges as well. So we're really seeing, and the mm -hmm. clients are seeing the benefit of, like you say, bringing everyone together and just trying something new. Not always 
a social aspect of it, eating and drinking, but just trying something different, keeping people motivated and engaged, like you say, and trying to do that face to face. So it's been interesting for us to see that as well. (laughs) Brilliant. Oh, well, sorry about that. Hopefully (laughs) he comes back alive. I think, I think he mentioned, he mentioned to Benita Everest at the time. And I I think her words were, her words were, let's start with Kilimanjaro. Um, Chris, thank you. That that's really useful. I think, um, I think it's something that that's ongoing and every business leader, I think has to be purposefully, purposely trying things to see what works for the cult, their culture, their business. But for me, like I resonate with, with eating, I think eating with, uh, I resonate with eating generally. (laughs) Thanks Ben. But I think, I think, I think eating together is a, is a really like, there's a, there's a, there's a tribal kind of aspect Mm. to that, that I think. I think brings people together. And our last question for you is our West Peak question. So um, West Peak is, is named after um, the concept of, of there being a second summit or a false summit, so a Western and East Peak. And we're just, we're really aware that, that when people learn something, you know, I think the phrase goes that a little bit of knowledge is, is dangerous. Um, when people are mountaineering, quite often they might see what they think is the summit, get there and realize that it was a false summit. So I'd love for you to share one of your West Peak moments, um, something that, you thought you knew everything there was to know about it. And then you saw it a little bit more and you're like, wow, actually, I, I need to learn a lot more. Um, what would one of those be for you? Nice. I've I, I really enjoyed that. Some, some refreshing words there. And it's, it's for me as well, it's been great to take your lessons. I know Ben and, and yourself know each other a little bit more than I do, but it's been really impactful to hear your story and, and where you've come from, especially as that you've got the, the co-CEO aspect, which I can really relate to. And I think a lot of our listeners will take away some of the key lessons as well, whether they're emerging leaders, new leaders, or CEOs, looking at that Sherpa example that you gave, how you need to start empowering people and, and being a great follower just as much as a, a leader within a business, but also making sure you've got that trust, that communication and the expertise. So I think for me, it's been, it's been really interesting to hear your background, your story, and some of those lessons as well. So I just wanted to thank you very much for your time. And I know Ben will also like to echo that too. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for your time. It's been it's been a real pleasure um, chatting, listening to your journey, listening to Talentful's journey, and it sounds like there's some exciting stuff to come. So thank you very much for joining us on How They Lead. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way, doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work. Thank you.